everybody, it's the Way of Rock podcast with Jeff and Jack. We're on episode 51. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing doing fine and dandy. We're back live in person. We're in person. We haven't done this in a while. Been a moment. I'm going to turn that off. Although I don't know how much of a moment it's actually been. <laughs> it's been... Because I've been... I've been here. It's been a probably lot. three episodes ago, maybe. Okay. I know we've done done a couple of zooms, so probably three episodes ago. Okay. That's gonna be my guess. It is Thanksgiving weekend here in America. I don't know if they do that. I know they do it in, in Canada, our neighbors to the north. I don't know if they do it anywhere else, but I think Canada does it like in August or something. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry to my Canadian friends if we're getting that wrong, but No, I'm not too deep in Canadian Thanksgiving lore. I know I don't, I think the rest of the, like in other countries, um, like, what are they called? Expats? They, they'll do like the, the little of them that they, they associate with, they'll go together and do a Thanksgiving thing. But I think the rest of the world kind of looks at Thanksgiving as a stupid holiday. <laughs> kind of is. Cause they're like, it's, it's, it's fun to have the, the couple days off, see some people. The, the food is not good. No, it's a, as ter- we've discussed many times. It's um terrible food choices. Well, here's a cuz um one of the podcasts I listen to they they argue about this regularly. Um in the one guy's argument is if people actually truly liked Thanksgiving food, there would be restaurants that served Thanksgiving food that exactly. you could go to. Exactly. Try getting turkey and stuffing anytime other, you know, Yeah, the year. like if you in in you can't do it. You and I are fairly carnivorous in our ways, um, but turkey's turkey's whack. It's it's you got to do a lot to turkey to make it good, and it's just not worth it. I mean, you can just throw something on the grill, you know, a yeah. steak or 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 a brisket or something, and and do much better. And traditionally, um, when there's at least in my experience, when there's a turkey, there's also a ham. So you're like, okay. Well, we can work with this. And see, I'm not even that big of a ham fan. I'll eat it in a pinch. I'm not. I like, I think ham as a deli meat works well. You Interesting. Know, I yeah, think, I'm not crazy about, I'm not crazy about deli meat, period. Like if you're, if you're going to have a sandwich, I think ham is the, uh, the meat you get on your sandwich. Interesting. I would argue that you probably get, I like the Jimmy John's gargantuan, which has all the meats. It does. So. Yeah. I think with uh, deli but, meat, you kind of, you kind of need them all. You get do some flavor because I don't know deli meat to me is is very bland. It, it it is now if you start going with the uh, the more exotic deli meats like your pastrami's and and things like that, then you're on to something. But yes, I don't know. I now the desserts. You and I disagree a little bit on Thanksgiving desserts. I tend to enjoy pies. See, I don't. Right. <laughs> I I don't like the I don't like pie crust. I just I think it's weird. It it's it's a necessary evil. I. And, now, in a perfect world, you would just pour the the pie filling into yeah. a bowl and eat it with a spoon. And I have not. I I will admit, there's been times where I've gotten a slice of pie and I scrape the filling off the crust. I ditch <laughs> the crust. Now, I don't do that. With, I think pumpkin pie is stupid. Now, there the, the the problem that you have grown up in a in a in a generation where people just go buy pie crust and then throw some filling in there. This is true. I grew up with a grandmother who made her own pie crust. She she rolled it out on the counter. She shaped it into a dish, and then she made the filling, whatever pie she was making, by hand. She didn't open a can and pour it in there. She she made it. So that's that makes for a way different pie. It does, and I will say, um, I have had 
a like from scratch apple pie before yes and, and it was like the one time where i was like maybe i can get behind this operation like you know when someone's made a real apple pie if they do that crisscrossy thing with the crust on the top that's that's how you know somebody worked on it. now the one pie that um i can i can for sure get behind and i don't know if it counts um they they it they would used to have it at my uh, school's dining hall and it would just be this cookies and cream pie and it was basically whipped cream with like oreo like that a uh, crumbled up oreo type thing yeah and that was really it there wasn't a crust to it right but you're like this is awesome it would be awesome but uh that's pie talk the way of pie so, podcast. One thing that that we do every Thanksgiving in this part of the country is the day after Thanksgiving, the local band The Urge performs. The local band The Urge does perform. They've been doing that probably I don't know maybe ten years now. It's a it's a day after Thanksgiving tradition, and they after taking now now The Urge, many people might not know who The Urge is. They they started hitting it big in the mid to late nineties. That's when their first album came out. It was a self-released album called Receiving the Gift of Flavor. They they hooked up with the boys in 311 pretty early on and started opening for them and getting a following. They're kind of in the same vein, kind of a, a rock ska type band. I, I hesitate to call them a ska band, but they definitely got that 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 vibe. No, they like as far as ska bands go... Or at least the 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 national because uh, the national like ska staples, the urge is much better than yeah yeah no I agree they're they're, they're that's why I, I hesitate but they do have horns yes. they, have, they have a saxophone player and a, and a trombone player a killer guitar player named Jerry Joe's who later on would actually audition for Limp Bizkit when Wes Borland left that band but anyway they they had a run in the late nineties uh, early two thousands. And then their lead singer, Steve, decided to head to L.A. for superstardom. And things didn't go his way, I guess. I don't know the story, but he came back to St. Louis. And they got The Urge going again. And they reunited at a local festival where nationally touring bands play. And the headliner that night was one band called Bush. Yeah, the... um. I can't remember any other bands I, on the. I feel like Allison Chains was there that night. I don't, think but Allison I can't Ch- imagine Allison no, Chains they playing there. before Bush. Uh, Cake was there for sure. Yes, um, Cake was there. Was the Offspring there then? No, 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 no. Um, yeah, I, my, my memory's all messed up no, about that particular festival, but that that would have been the Cake one. But anyway, Bush was the headliner with local band The Urge reuniting right before right before um, Bush. Yeah. People were so jazzed to see The Urge back together. That place was packed, you know, 15,000 people or so. And after The Urge played, unfortunately, Bush played for about half of that many people because the place kind of cleared out. Yeah. So sorry to Bush, but it was great to see The Urge back in action. And they haven't s- slowed down since. I do, because um, we did leave after The Urge. We didn't stay for Bush, right. which... I think it's fine. I I, I, I probably would have liked to see Bush. I wouldn't mind looking seeing back Bush. At it. it was a long day, as those festivals tend to be, and I don't know that Bush was the uh, the carrot to lure me into another no, couple I, of hours. I of, would agree. Of being there, and it's really hard. I mean, just with any band, the way that the urge is, 
they're very energy heavy. They are. You know, like the when the horns players aren't playing the horns, they're running around the stage and jumping and and it's a very like it's a it's an it's experience. It's a very energetic show, yes. And so, you know, and, and Bush is all right, but what they're gonna come out they can like what's their rock most rocking song they can play and it's like okay. Right, after Wait. they do Machine Head, then you know. But but anyway, after that show, then the urge picked up they, they started doing the Thanksgiving show. They uh they released an album in probably what, twenty thirteen, somewhere around there. Or fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah some maybe. somewhere in there. They they re recorded their first album live. They invited some super fans to their to a studio and like twenty, thirty people and they just ran through the album live and re recorded it. And then that year for the Thanksgiving show they did that uh double show where they, they played did. um was it the gift of flavor. Yeah, receiving yeah, they, the gift of flavor. They played that in its entirety and then they did a second set. And that's when their stage set was it was uh reminiscent of the the, the legendary St. Louis nightclub Mississippi Nights. Yes. That used to be down on the landing on the river. That's where everybody played back in the day. And uh, everybody from, you know, Nirvana played there. The Ramones played there. I mean, back in the 80s, the the metal bands before they got big, they played there. Like Dokken played there, I remember. Dokken. So, so many bands played at that venue. And it's it's no longer there. It's like a hotel now or something, the 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 spot. They tore it down and, and built something that I would never go to. But that, that was a, a legendary venue that the local bands, you know, and the nationally touring bands, but definitely the local bands played at all the time. And that was the night since they were doing the uh, the double set. They didn't get a like op- a traditional opener, and we got our favorite DJ, DJ Stan <laughs> DJ the Man. Stan the Man. So anyway, last night the Urge played and gave it their their usual amount of of just unbelievable energy. Yeah, it's... These, these guys are all fifty, some of them fifty plus now, and still just you know jumping around the stage and and giving it their all. They're they're so much fun. If you can find some video on YouTube of the Urge. They did release a live DVD probably seven or eight years ago as well that's out there that was shot at the pageant. Their their bass player, Carl, is is a great deal of fun. He seems to be having his own show, um, you know, jumping around. He likes to lick his bass a lot, which is very strange, but he's fun. Jerry Jost, the guitar player, is so much fun to watch. Oh, he's yeah, such he's, a good guitar player. And, and um, we haven't mentioned uh, John Pisoni. John is, Pisoni, the drummer. He's uh yeah he he's the drummer of the urge but he's also the drummer in every other band in St. Louis. St. Louis and I don't know if other cities do this but St. Louis has a variety of tribute bands which are all the same band pretty mostly. much yeah mostly the same guys same core um John Pisoni's in three or four of them Jerry Joe's the guitar players in three or four of them and and sometimes John's the front man, but he is the drummer in the Led Zeppelin tribute band. Yeah, Celebration, Celebration Day. Celebration Day. And they do close to a three-hour show, and John does the entire Moby Dick um, that you would see the classic Zeppelin that was basically Bonham's drum solo. And Celebration Day uses that as kind of the band break. That's like, you know, okay, we're going to go off and do a costume change and, and get a drink and go to the bathroom because Pisoni's just doing it almost note for note, the the whole Moby Dick solo, which is amazing. And yeah, he's he's such a great, he's a, he's a great instrumentalist anyway. He can play anything. Like I said, sometimes so he's the front man. We've he plays seen guitar. him and Jerry do um, 
an acoustic set together before. I know they're doing their, they have their project now um, that you've seen a few times, but kind of before they were doing that, we uh, got to see them, one of those acoustic brunches doing just the two of right. them. Um, yeah, one on bass, one on guitar, and both of them singing. And it was, it was yeah, so much fun. I, I, I guess every city has their, you know, beloved local bands. But the the urge is such an institution. the The lead singer Steve is an amazing singer. He's an amazing athlete. He played you know like high school baseball. Mm. He's he's a bodybuilder yeah. now, um, competitively. He owns a couple of hot dog restaurants here in town, and is always on the news and doing charity and and giving meals to first responders. And he's just one of the opening bands last night called him the the unofficial mayor of St. Louis. Which I thought was very fitting because hmm. he he does he's he's a just I don't know when he sleeps to be quite honest. <laughs> I don't. So that's what we did last night. So that was a good time seeing the urge. And yeah. It was our first urge show in a couple of years. Yeah, because we for just whatever circumstances, right? It was we had to, to we had to take a few years off, and then they skipped 2020. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. Um, Much like everybody. So we we didn't have that opportunity then. Um, so yeah, this year they, they came by. I know they also played a show earlier this summer. Yeah, they played this... over the summer with Soul Asylum and another band from the nineties whose name escapes me, but I feel like the urge was the headliner. of that I show, believe, I believe they were, which um, was, um, it was probably Soul Asylum and whoever they were touring with. And then when they came to St. Louis, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you can play here. But then, you know, the urge is going to play after you guys. Which so, happens. It does happen. I thought you were going to uh, uh, look something up and give me some information. I am. I'm I'm not there yet. I see. Okay, then I'll bring up, going along with last night, because we really, I don't know if we talked about this after we talked about Gojira on the last episode, but I'm very intrigued now by the moshing. Now, I know this is not a new thing, obviously. Back, yes. in fact, we were talking back in our day. They used to call it slam dancing. Um, that turned into moshing, which has evolved into like circle pits. Um, the the Gojira show we were at a couple weeks ago, it was a giant circle pit. Yeah, just and last night was just more like unorganized moshing. Um, but it struck me. It was funny. First of all, it, it being being now you know quote unquote a pandemic. There's always the one guy in the mosh pit with a mask on, which makes me laugh. <laughs> um, and to interrupt you, yes, um, the Urge Soul Asylum opener was Local H. Yes, Local H. Our friends, high five and MF. Hold on, let's. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about this before. We may have. I, for our listeners, all right, we have an ongoing debate in uh, the Way of Rock HQ. Regarding local H, the sane people, we argue that their song is bound for the floor. The yes. one that peaked on the charts right. and the ones that they released as a single. The and played on the radio constantly yeah, and the, you still hear to this day. Yeah. The, we have, a, we have a, a third party. And the one that's great fun to play on bass. That argues that their big song is High Fiving MF, the song that hasn't peaked on any charts was not released as a single. And you never hear on the radio. Yeah. They've played it live, They apparently, and everyone... People enjoy it. They're, people you know, enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun song. song. Yeah. 
Just not their big hit. Just not bound for the floor. <laughs> anyway, before we, we digress, getting back to mosh pits. I, I get a kick out of the one person that wears their mask in the mosh pit. It just makes me laugh because, you know, when you're catching uh, an elbow in your esophagus, you want to you make sure you've got that protective like mask Like I said on. yesterday, you can, go to, you can go to work with it. No one's uh, screening you for a fractured <laughs> that, esophagus. That's true. It just makes me laugh. The, the second observation I've had in these mosh pits for the last couple of weeks is the age of the participants seems to be much higher than you would expect. No, yeah. Um, and I think is yesterday there was, we, we had our, our big gray-haired bodybuilder friend. Yes. Uh, who, he, and he was having the time of his life. And he I, was. And I think, because I, I kept watching him leave the mosh pit and go back to his wife, who looked younger than him, so I think he might have just looked old. I don't know if he was as old as we might um, Right, think. right. He might have just had, you know, the, the white hair. Yeah. But it seemed, the way that I interpreted it, and I, of course, there's a show going on. I'm putting very little thinking in it. Right, right. Trying to pay I, attention to the yeah. show. <laughs> but I'm like, ob, I'm, I make my observations. It It felt like, you know, he that was like... His one night out in however long right. and he's like, and he's like, he's going to make the most of he's it. He's having so like, he went out and he's like, you know, he sees the mosh, but he's like, man, man, let's, let's see what happens. He goes in, he's like, wow, this is great fun. I can't do it all night, but so I'll, I'll and, take And he's breaks. got a story for Monday when he goes back to the office. He's yeah. going to tell all the guys how he was moshing just like he did when he was 25. And, and you're right. It was his one night out. He doesn't go to shows every Friday. He's not doing that all the time. Um, but it was funny that well, even at that Gojira show, some of those guys that were out there, the big muscle guys with, with no shirts on for most of the night, they were of a more advanced age. They were yeah. at least in their 40s. And, and to that, um, our favorite Gojira goer, Boot, <laughs> he was right behind me at one point, and he did not necessarily look like he was a young guy. He was like, not a young guy. His, was, his skin was, looked like it had aged some. Yeah, he was, again, at least in his 40s. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't. Did we talk about boot last time? We did. Okay, I was gonna. I didn't want to throw around a uh, inside <laughs> a joke reference and, that nobody gets. Yeah, boot's my favorite person <laughs> ever. But yeah, it's it's these older guys that are out there moshing, going crazy. Like you said, it's probably their one night out, the one chance they get to kind of relive when they were young. I used to go to shows back then in the '90s, where you know when it kind of got really started. I never understood it then. I still don't. I like to watch the show. Um, and when I watch a show, me being a, a, a kind of behind-the-scenes person, I like to watch behind-the-scenes, too. So I, I pay weird attention to shows. Not only am I enjoying the music, I'm, I'm watching the guitar tech. I'm, I'm watching all sorts of crazy stuff. Don't, don't even ask. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the guy doing the monitor mix. I'm, you know, I know not everybody does that. I don't understand necessarily how you do the moshing and enjoy the show, but, you know, whatever, to each his own. Um the kids last night were making me laugh because they were all gung-ho to mosh. And then after a little bit, I think they didn't necessarily know what moshing was. No, yeah. Because they pulled back and they, they, I think it was a little bit more than they were. I think they just thought moshing was jumping up and down. Yeah, because they did that a lot. To that, my generation, that is moshing. Like you go to um, a school dance or something, a high school school dance, the inner pit where the the hype people are they call that the mosh pit now i've seen slayer before so whenever <laughs> i'm i'm looking at the mosh pit i'm like well hold on um you know i we watched we watched 
um, a crowd of people almost kill Party Shark in a wall of death. We did. Um, many years ago. And, like, you know, so I, th- I, th- I do think the definition of the word mosh pit has been uh, altered. Been watered down a little bit. Yeah. And so it was funny because, you know, they were, you know, before the show, one of them even asked us, they're like, are you guys going to mosh? And we're like, <laughs> no. And so the... I can't remember if it, I guess it would have been fragile porcelain mice that they got going in because they kind of were doing like a little bit of kind of shoving each other around, but mostly right. jumping, but Very they were like hesitant shoving. Yeah. But they would like run into someone and then that person would turn around. Cause like what's going <laughs> right. on. And then they would kind of like get the fear of God into them and stop. But then a couple people in front of them, like first saw like a little bit after that, all hell broke loose and they shoved. So, and then, you know, then it opened up and then it was fun to watch like the real, moshers come in and they're like oh <laughs> now our mosh pit that we enjoyed at uh at trivium slash avatar that one time with our our large friend who was, who oh, was yeah. just having the time of his life no, okay so this guy and that's that's the one i had to break off a little bit and be like i'm gonna go watch this from the the edge there was this was the, this might have been the not the craziest but the most fun mosh pit i've ever witnessed because there's this huge like had to be like Six six at the least, probably more. Good, three hundred pounds. Oh, I would yeah. say. I'm Easily. not good at weight and height, so he could have been five ten, one sixty, and I could be messing this up. But he was definitely a, a division two center. Yeah, he was a large guy, and the the whole like what they were doing is they were like playing where they were they would have him. It was almost like uh like jousting but with no right. weapons or, or like king of the mountain yeah like. where they were they would have like you know just whatever crazy small guy come in and just sprint at them and see what they could do <laughs> and this huge guy would just like pop his chest down kind of bounce them back you know while the band's playing we're, right and you're trying to watch because you know that was one of the best lineups that we've seen at, yeah, that's the thing. Some of those mosh pits can be so entertaining that yeah. that you're like, oh yeah, I'm trying to watch the show here too. It's like we 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 got to see Howard Jones, Johannes Ekstrom, and Matt Heafy all in the same night. But these guys are playing a game that I want to watch. So, and then the great circle pit at the Godsmack at Rockfest oh, yeah. a couple of years ago, where they just started fighting, and then they, that that gets the attention of Sully, who then tells him to knock it off. <laughs> so. Oh, well, one thing that I did enjoy is um, yesterday you notice some someone lost their glasses then there's an entire the thing that happens in mosh pits one person lose something everyone pulls out their flashlights right. but uh the lead the lead singer fragile and porcelain mice thought that someone fell and was getting trampled oh i didn't even notice that yeah because then he was like he was like oh pick them up pick them up and then like you know everyone's like, we're looking for glasses dude it's okay don't worry we're not gonna you know we're not gonna astro world festival you right everyone's safe there's a couple of people that fell, and I, I just oh, yeah. kind of threw my arm under their shoulder. Yeah, you just, you know, you pick them back up. They start doing that. That tiny little blonde girl, she must have bit it four or five times. Oh, and she she got back up and started jumping around and having a good old time. I don't so. know how much she's walking today. <laughs> I think now that the alcohol has worn off, she's like, right. oh, God, what did I go through last night? Well, it was great fun. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, used to, I used to let moshing annoy me. Now, now I, I kind of... And just kind of sit back and 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 enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I you know I'm a I I've never had the desire to go into a mosh pit and and do that. But I am a physical person, so I do enjoy like I do enjoy the being on the border and just shoving yeah, people pu- kind of back pushing into people it. back. That that yeah, that's about the 
the, the extent you know, of some, it. Like sometimes at Gojira, when you get blindsided by a crowd surfer or something, you're like, ah. I took a shot in the head last night from something, and I think it was just somebody pumping their fist in the air, and they caught the back of my head. It wasn't really hard, and I didn't even turn around. I just, you know, felt uh, something hit the back of my head, which which made me laugh. But uh, yeah, the, the, the crowd tried to get a little Kansas City last night. I saw some beers being thrown and, and things like that. I was like, oh, you amateurs. But, yeah. you know, Kansas City crowds are throwing bottles of Jack Daniels. Curb that stomping They people. somehow got into the venue. But <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, right. There was no pools of blood last night. It didn't look like anybody really, really took any injuries. So it was a good time. And one thing that this has never happened at a show that I've been at before, um, right before the urge came on or in, in their changeover, they had a cleanup crew come down to the floor and mop up all the spilled beer. They did. And I've never seen that either. That was uh, very, very interesting. You know, cause I was bothered. I was like, I'm standing on, you know, it's one thing to stand on a, a puddle of beer and another thing to be on the border of a mosh pit. When you combine those things, it's a little rough cause you get <laughs> right. knocked and you're like, Oh, little, I don't have a stable. Slick. Yeah. So when you, I went to go to the bathroom and I, I saw, you know, a guy walking with a mop. I was like, how are you going to pull this off? And he pulled it off. All right. Well, the reason we are here today is the long-awaited show about the Use Your Illusion albums from Guns N' Roses. They have turned 30. 30. And we've been wanting to talk about them for, for a couple months now and haven't been able to pull it together. We're going to do it today. We're going to talk about Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we are back with the Way of Rock podcast with Jeff and Jack, episode 51. Today, we are going to talk about the great Guns N' Roses albums, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And before we get into discussion, I'm just curious, a little fun question. All right. Which album cover do you prefer? You know, this, I knew we were going to kind of approach this, and I, I prefer the, the blue and purple one. I also uh, like the blue and purple okay. one. Now, these albums came out in September of 1991. Yes. 1991 was a monster music, monster year for music. Everything came out that year. Van Halen's um, um, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge came out that year. Bad Motor Finger by Outshine. I can't talk. Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden featuring Outshined came out that year. That was their breakthrough album. Pearl Jam's 10 came out that year. Nevermind came out that year. Um, Temple of the Dogs album came out that year. Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears came out that year. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of of great albums for that year. 1991 was an amazing year. This double set, I think, was probably the most anticipated of all of those. That would, I mean, not that I was alive then, but that would add up. Yeah, it, it, the, the, the thing that bands do now where they kind of, release songs for you know sometimes six months sometimes a year before the album actually came out that didn't happen back then you got a radio single you got maybe a second radio single and then boom the album was out guns and roses with these two albums did not do that they they had songs a full year before these two albums came out and back then, there was no internet. You couldn't look up videos on YouTube. You, 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 the only way you had to consume these songs were either if they got played on the radio or on MTV. Because um, the, the, the first couple singles, they weren't even singles. They were just songs that Guns N' Roses had out there um, that you couldn't even go buy the single. So 
I think the first one was their cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door. I think that's correct. Yeah, that came out in the summer of 1990. Now, this was a couple years after all their success with Appetite for Destruction. They did put out the GNR Lies EP a year later, and then they just went on just constant touring. They just toured like crazy, and in the meantime, blew up. So when I saw them the first time in the summer of 1988, Sweet Child of Mine was on the top of the charts. They were opening for Aerosmith. Um, a year later, they were playing stadiums. So by the time 89, 90 rolls around, they're just they're playing these enormous venues. Um, they got on the, the I know that in 89 they got on the Stones big stadium venue. They were opening for the Stones. They they weren't headlining there, but. After that, it was just all guns and roses. Now, at the same time, they were getting all sorts of crazy press because Axel's Axel. Um, and and so, you know, he had he was always in the tabloids with the girls he was dating and marrying and blah, blah, blah. And then they had the celebrated drug problems of, of Slash and Steven Adler. And, and Duff kind of somehow made it under the radar back then. But if you read his book, you know, he was flirting with death pretty much every night. So... GNR was like this beautiful disaster that was just rolling and, and just, you know, playing and selling records. And so we finally get some new Guns N' Roses music in the summer of 1990, and it's their cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door. It was on a, a movie soundtrack, a terrible Tom, Tom Cruise movie called Days of Thunder. Um, so that gets some traction. A little after that, they release, kind of, they release it to the radio. You couldn't go buy it again. Um Civil War. So you started hearing both of those songs on the radio quite a bit. Civil War and and Knocking on Heaven's Door. There was no videos for either of them. I remember they played Knocking on Heaven's Door maybe at like the the MTV Music Awards or something like that. So there was there was kind of a performance of it. Uh Civil War I think ended up on like a like a benefit album for Romanian kids. So there was I think a physical copy of that that you could eventually go get. But it was like a various artist type thing. So then, in the summer of '91, spring of '91, maybe, uh, the the song "You Could Be Mine" is part of another movie. It's a terrible movie, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, um, Terminator Two. Ah, it's it's in that it's in that movie. It's not on the soundtrack. It's just in the movie, and they released a video that like used movie clips and like. The Terminator, I don't know how much you know about The Terminator. It's this dumb movie about a robot from the future comes back to Earth to kill somebody. I don't know. You know me in movies that can't really happen. I hate them. So I saw this movie in the theater, and it's it's as dumb as I suspected. But the video is kind of cool because the Terminator was hunting down Axel, and the song itself, You Could Be Mine, had to do with their guitar player Izzy's ex-girlfriend. So now we've got three Guns N' Roses songs Still no album. Now in this time in this time frame, the 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 famous uh, Riverport concert takes place in July of 1991, where there's the huge riot and and Guns N' Roses, who had played almost an hour and a half, somehow got blamed for cutting their concert short and and angering the crowd, who then rioted and and tore up Riverport Amphitheater here in St. Louis. Axel eventually faced some some vandalism charges and got put on probation, had to pay a bunch of money, didn't come back to St. Louis until just a couple of years ago and when, when we saw them at the Dome. 
So all this crazy stuff is happening. They've got three albums or three songs out, but still no record. And then Izzy leaves the band. So Izzy, who's part of the recording in this album, he no longer wants to be a part of the band. So he's gone. And they had not replaced him yet. So right before we did this recording or started this recording, we watched the video for Don't Cry. And if I remember right, that was the first actual single off of the albums. So Don't Cry comes out and it's the first, now, now we've got like new Guns N' Roses. We know the albums are going to come out. And they release his video, Don't Cry. And as we watched just a few minutes ago, we watched the video, there's, there's somebody wearing a sign that says, where's Izzy? Because, you know, Izzy's no longer in the band. Uh, Axel, for a brief moment, is wearing a St. Louis Cardinals baseball hat, which is kind of a little shout out to the city of St. Louis that, that he is so pissed off at <laughs> at, at this point. Um, they've got a, a co-singer in the video, at least, and on a song. He, he recorded the song, too, the late great Shannon Hoon from the band Blind Melon, who had not even, nobody, this was way before Blind Melon was even known. Like, nobody knew who Blind Melon was at that point. So now we've got some new Guns N' Roses music. The The albums come out. They, they're released on the same day in September. Now, again, back then, when albums were released, they just came out at the record store. Like, there was no leaked copy on the internet. You couldn't just add it to your, your, your Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. You had to go down to a record store and pay 12 bucks or whatever for the, for the CD, for the tape, the cassette tape, which, as, as an aside cassette tapes are somehow coming back ironically i guess i already have enough problem with albums coming back because that's the worst way to listen to music except for cassette tapes the cassette tapes while they're at least portable and you could you know pop them in something at the beach or in your car sound like crap <laughs> they're they're just terrible so if you're out there listening to cassette tapes stop it <laughs> but these two CDs come out on the same day, go straight to the top of the charts. These things have sold now 7 million copies of these albums. They, and again, you had to go buy physical copies for 12, 13, 14 bucks or whatever it was in 1991. So then you had to like, if you're a 20 year old kid or, or whatever you had, Oh, can I, can I afford both of these? Can, do I have to just buy one? What do I do? And I remember I personally bought them both on the same day, which was a good move because you have to have all of them. So my question is regarding what you've just said. I don't know. You and I, we've gone to GameStop for a midnight release one time, and it wasn't that crazy. It was a because that was still kind of in the digital age where half the country, half the player base, pre-ordered it on the PlayStation Store, or the Xbox Store, or whatever. What was going to a record store like on, especially like the day of? Guns N' Roses releasing two albums. You know, it wasn't... Like, I didn't get there at midnight or anything weird like that. I don't even know if I bought it on the release day, to be honest. But I don't remember there being anything crazy. Now, at the time, I was living in a college town. I wasn't in a big city. So I don't know if there was, like, madness at Tower Records in L.A. or anything like that. I, I don't have a memory of that. Okay. And I remember I just went in and, and bought them and went about my day. Okay. So, so that I, I don't, I don't know. Okay. But 1991 was the year that the, the billboard charts that, that tell you what the most popular albums are in the, in the country. 
that's when they started using, they used to use like a survey system. So if you owned a record store, you had to like at the end of the week or the end of the month or the quarter or whatever, you had to like write down how many units of whatever that you sold. And then they would tabulate that manually and say, oh, okay, well, you know, Led Zeppelin four was the number one album this week. And, um, they, that was the first year they went to a scan, like a computer scan. So every time one of those records got scanned in a record store, it went into a central, um, like database that tabulated that. And then you, you always knew that the number one album was actually the one that was bought. So I, I seem to remember that those debuted at number one that year, kind of everything debuted at number one because of that system. And every, you know, like when Van Halen's album came out, Skid Row, I remember what might've been the first one to, to use that system to debut at number one. So it was immensely popular right off the bat. I don't remember there being any craziness. Okay. But again, I don't know that I bought it on. I might have. I might have had to wait till payday. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know about that. But but yeah, right off the bat, you know, both of these albums, and and there was great debate back then. And I'm I'm curious for you, someone who was born, you know, ten years after these albums even came out. So you didn't have to anticipate them. You just discovered them and got to like them. Yes. So we we would immediately just start devouring them. You know, we'd already heard Civil War a million times and, and uh, knocking on Heaven's Door and You Could Be Mine. But then it was like we had to start digging into the other stuff. And I I have always maintained, and of course later on when I read Slash's book and Duff's book, you find out a little bit more about the recording of these albums. And, and it was very, it was very Axel heavy. Like it was a very Axel project. Even oh yeah. After yeah. they recorded in the studio, Duff and Slash and everybody would go out to party, and Axel would sit back in the studio and add stuff. So when you hear all the, the 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 sound effects like the rain and the you know the stuff like in uh, getting the ring and and coma and stuff like that, that was all stuff that Axel added later with a producer. And did like synthesizer on November Rain. I someday I would like to hear the stripped down versions of these songs. I'm not sure. Just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, no, I because especially in 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 Slash's book, I I can't remember the exact quote. It's been a few years, but he he talks about it. he's like he's like yeah everyone everyone liked the what came out in in the songs that were released, but the songs that you know we recorded before they got axled were incredible and right. it, like it is in yeah I I, I I'm, I'm just curious it, i don't it, even know if it's possible for them to to have that uh it's possible i mean if they exist i know a few years ago paul mccartney um took the album let it be by the beatles that was very in his mind overproduced by phil Spector, and he released a version called let it be naked and it's a stripped down version of that album so if those tapes are or if the masters are still there some they could do it I don't imagine Axel would ever let that happen. Yeah, and I and I don't I don't I mean, not that I know much about producing and recording music, but who knows if the masters are still even right there. So I mean, that's kind of where I imagine I they are just cuz I mean that was a major label release. I'm sure Geffen's got them in a vault somewhere. But again, it would it would have to go through probably Axel first and then I'm sure a bunch of other people and lawyers and, and whatnot. It would be interesting to hear. I really would like to hear it. But I remember when we went through those albums and, and listened song by song, and I, I had a couple roommates at the time that were both big Guns fans, maybe not as big as me. I mean, there 
we we just really couldn't find bad songs on on those albums. No, they're they they aren't many. Um, we we used to always kind of debate, you know, which one you liked better, um, or conversely, whether or not you could condense it down into one album, like what songs you would get rid of to make one album. And I really don't. I mean, I I. I, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know if I could make one album out of it. I could probably, I was thinking about that today. I was listening. I listened to both of them back to back and I was just going through the tracks. And honestly, the last song on use your illusion to my world, which is only a minute long. So it's barely a song. It's just kind of something goofy. I think they did in the studio. So I'm like, okay, you could lose that. <laughs> but so now you're down to one hour and 14 minutes. Right. <laughs> But the rest of these songs now, I would probably, I, I could probably make an argument for getting the ring. That's not my favorite Guns N' Roses songs, but Slash, do, Slash does a lot of, um, like he kind of carries, the, the songs that aren't that strong, Slash carries. Like he, there, there's a couple songs on here that maybe lyrically aren't so great, but Slash has such great riffs that you totally overlook the fact that Axel's a bit of a, you know, psychopath oh well, yeah that and, he, helps. and this was back in the day when axel had a problem with literally everybody he was fighting with his girlfriends he was fighting with record people he was fighting with venue people when i saw them the first time and they opened i've probably told you the story when they opened for aerosmith they're the opening band mind you and sweet child of mine was like on the top of the charts so they did have like a number one song that song was also being used in the movie the deadpool from a, it was a Dirty Harry movie from Clint Eastwood, and Guns N' Roses was actually in the movie very briefly. the 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 storyline is that a, uh, a a rock star gets murdered, and they show the funeral scene, and Guns N' Roses is at the funeral. So it's just you know they shoot a very quick shot of the funeral, and, and Guns is all dressed up there at the at the gravesite. But the the rock star that gets killed is played by Jim Carrey before he was famous. And they're shooting a music video. And the music, the song they use is Sweet Child of Mine. So if you ever get a chance to look this up on YouTube, it's Jim Carrey lip-syncing Sweet Child of Mine, which is kind of funny. Actually, it might be Welcome to the Jungle now that I think about it. Either way, he's lip-syncing a Guns N' Roses song. And then he gets murdered on the set of the of the video. But anyway... Axel had a huge problem with something. <laughs> and so as he does before they sang sweet child of mine at the concert where they're opening, they're the opening band. They don't have that much time. Anyway, he goes on this long tirade about against Clint Eastwood and, and the movie and, and on and on and on. We just recently, when you're, when you were here last, we watched that DVD of a guns concert from 1992 and Axel went on some tirade about something before he sang one of those songs. And it's just what he used to do. And it's funny that we saw him a few years ago and he just sang, he just sang the songs. He was on his best behavior. <laughs> he really was. It's it's weird to think and this was back in the day when, you know, you know, reading the books that, you know, they would have a concert wherever and they would Axel would be nowhere to be found and they'd go on stage two, three hours late and the, the crowd would be restless and some of that probably played into what happened in Saint Louis, honestly. I don't think they came on late that night, but you know, every every Guns N' Roses concert, everybody's like, "Oh, is this the one?" You know, is, you know, one of those guys gonna drop dead on stage, or is Axel gonna do something crazy? Or they just 
they just had that reputation of being this just unhinged group of guys. No, yeah, and it, and it is um, just on Axel. It it is interesting because you you know, growing up, he, I would always hear how crazy Axel was and and whatnot. But then he had that you know, just now he, not just now, but in the last couple of years, getting the 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 least slashed and duff back together, he's kind of been on whether it's he's just because he's he's grown up or not it seems like he you know he's he acts normal now um so then there's like you have those few years few years where axel is just a normal person and then you forget that axel is crazy and then you remember all the axel things you're like yeah well and i gotta think you know mental health care is so much better now that's true so things that people were doing you know 20 30 40 years ago to self-medicate if they were you know, depressed or bipolar or what, whatever the case may be. And I always thought that, that, that Axel was bipolar. Um, you know, I'm sure he's got good doctors now and good medication and probably is in therapy. That, that was stuff he didn't do in 1991. And, and people just, you know, took drugs or, or drank or whatever. And those guys were legendary for their drugs. And I don't even think Axel was that big of a drug guy, you know, Slash and Steven Adler and, and Duff kind of took over that for them. And, and Izzy, Izzy was a huge drug guy. That's, I, I think Izzy, when he left the band, you know, he kind of became a recluse. He didn't start like the Izzy Stradlin project. He, he just moved back to Indiana and just started doing his own thing. And I think he kind of took the Mick Taylor route. Mick Taylor was the, the legendary guitar player in the Rolling Stones before, um, after Brian Jones died, Mick Taylor took over and then he left after just a couple of years. And then Ronnie Wood joined the band. But Mick Taylor has said many, many times, if he had stayed in the Stones, he'd be dead. Because back then, the Stones, and now we know the Stones is like, you know, these older gentlemen who come to town and play your stadium and... <laughs> Have a good time. <laughs> right. But in 1970, they were they were kind of the guns and roses of their day. You know, Keith Richards was pulling knives on people and getting arrested in Arkansas, and they were getting stopped at borders for having heroin in their in their suitcase and they were they were a little crazy back then and Mick Taylor has said many times that he he needed to get out of that and I think Izzy was the same way Izzy had a terrible heroin problem and he finally got clean and I think he's like you know what I can't be around any of that nonsense I thought you had a point to make no I didn't you, you go you make this motion like you're going to talk I do and then you don't talk it's it I'll tell you what it is I'll 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 break down the psychology of it <laughs> you start looking at me to uh, like like you you make the motion that you're finishing up your thought and so i'm prepared to do something but then i can't think of anything <laughs> then you have nothing <laughs> yeah then i have nothing so then i have to sit there and then i'm like okay why well, this is awkward i well it is interesting to me that you grew up with a guns and roses that was not unhinged and crazy and i didn't yeah and I doing didn't, nutty stuff so i didn't grow up with a guns and roses and right right it, but in... like you you first became aware of guns and roses and slash like like around like the time when Slash was doing Guitar Hero. Yeah, no, it was it was exactly that. Yeah, so so you're you know for you Slash was like this cartoon character came to life, and then you found out he was a real guitar player, and and that kind of led you into the into the music. At the same time, we were like, wow, Slash has really straightened his life out, and he's he's now gonna be doing these other things, and he's he's not dead face down in a gutter somewhere. That's awesome. And now when you look back. Like who would have guessed in 1991 or 92 that 
you know, Slash would be on the top of his game now with a new solo album out that that is probably going to be just awesome. Duff is now in tip-top shape, you know, financial wizard, um, you know, just does his mountain biking and, and martial arts and, and looks like a million bucks at 57 or whatever he is. You know, it's it's nobody would have guessed that back then. And, yeah, even, sure. and even Steven Adler, who they had to kick out of the band for having a drug problem, which some comedian back then had a great joke about, you know, when you got Slash telling you to get your life together, you've, you've really got problems. I don't remember what comedian I'm stealing that from, but that was a joke that back then. And, you know, even he's, not that he's on top of the world, but, you know, he's still alive and he's still kicking and performing and, and good for him. So, it, yeah, it's just, it, it's hard to explain how, because rock bands just aren't crazy now. No, they're not. There, there's no equivalent of of 1990 Guns N' Roses I out mean, there running around. To to an extent, that that is kind of what you know you see in the the hip hop world. Not even like still not as crazy, um, but you know your rock fans are usually very very well behaved, right? Um, well, and I think too bands now have a better control of their destiny than they did back then. Back then when a band started getting some heat, the, the promoters and everybody would grab onto them and basically make them stay out on the road, then get them immediately into a studio, then immediately back out on the road. That's, that's kind of what broke kiss in the seventies. If you look at the dates of kiss releases in the seventies, they're putting out records like every eight months. And when they weren't doing that, they were on tour and, it didn't seem to affect Gene and Paul very much, but it broke Ace and, and Peter. You know, they, they could not deal with that. And record companies would just, just then, then they made it worse by like, well, we need you out on the road, so here's more cocaine and heroin. Do whatever you got to do to get your asses out there on stage and, and perform because we got to make money. I don't think that exists really anymore. I don't think it does. And I don't think bands have to sign their lives over to a record label like they used to. Like, it used to be when you sign your record deal the record label would say, okay, cool. Here's a million dollars. Now you owe us four albums and, and a tour, whatever the deal might be. But, you know, here's all that money up front. And then as you remember reading in Slash's book, he was like buying sports cars and wrapping them around a tree the 10 minutes later. And that was all advance money. What people don't realize is you got to pay that back. That's not money they give you because they're, they believe in you really. They, that's a loan. So you got to pay all that money back. So you got to do something to make that money back to pay back the record company. So it's like a, it 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 it's cool if you're on top of things and you're 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 putting out the product and making the money. But once you stop doing that, then they're like, well, okay, well you owe us five hundred thousand dollars. So where's my money? <laughs> and 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 so many bands back then, you know, nobody was kind of leading them properly and saying, well, okay, here's how you do it. It was basically, oh, cool! You gave us a million bucks. How much drugs and cars can that buy? And and that's what they were doing. That reminds me of uh, in the Nikki Six book. He talks about um, it was like very very early on in the first one. He talks about uh, he had this friend that wanted a motorcycle. I don't know if you remember this story. I but don't. His his friend wanted a motorcycle, and so Nikki went and bought that motorcycle for himself. Just, <laughs> just like, just because he was, he, you know, he's all strung out and he, yeah. and, he and he's, he kind of, just to be a rich jerk. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, now I, I, I think 
he might have mentioned I, I like I said it's been five years since I read this I think he said something that I don't think he ever like wrote it he just owned it just to own it just to, yeah just to be annoying but uh you talking about how much money Guns N' Roses spent doesn't even put a dent in the amount oh, of money no. that Molly Crew was right, uh, right. going. Yeah, that's crazy. And and those two bands even, you know, they were they were, you know, friendly with each other and partied together and and toured together and I can't imagine the 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 insanity that oh, no. was on one of those tours. And and yeah, it's just the fact that all those guys are now, you know, they're all around 60 years old unless you're Mick Mars, then you're around 70 years old. But, you know, they came out on the other side and it's 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 stunning to me, honestly. <laughs> Especially when you think about the people that we did lose at a fairly early age, like 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 Lane Staley died in his twenties. Maybe he's a little bit older. Maybe he's like he was, what, yeah, was he it, was in his thirties. Wasn't he twenty? Was he not twenty seven? He was not. He was a little bit older. Okay. He died in two thousand two, which would make him around thirty three or four or five, somewhere around there. So, but you know, it, he wasn't like the the crazy, you know, tear up a hotel room and get a bunch of girls partier. He was, he was just like a quiet, solitary drug addict more. I mean, they're both, they're both sad in their own way, but I mean, he, it's not like he was out there just like doing the, doing the Ozzy Osbourne, you know, crazy nutty stuff. He, he just died quietly in his house and wasn't discovered for two weeks. But yeah, you always thought one of those guys was just going to drop on stage. Like just the way they they carried on with their lives, and it, I mean, it's it's awesome that they were able to figure it out, and 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 now Guns N' Roses is out there making more money on tour than literally just about any other uh, any other band. They're they're doing the stadium thing and just raking in the dollars. Yeah, and they're earning it too. I mean, when we saw it, what 2017, they that was a three and a half hour show. Three and a half hour show. Yeah, they were I mean, breaking out all the songs. They played almost all of Appetite, almost all of these records. And threw in some covers. Yeah, they they did the um, like the the recorded covers that they do, um, attitude and and the, the live and let dies and the knocking on heaven's door. But then they also did, was it the seeker? They did a who song. Was it the seeker? Yeah, I think it was. They did the seeker and they did a whole, whole lot, lot of, of Rosie from ACDC. Slash, when he did his guitar solo, did a little Chuck Berry stuff. Not nothing specific. He just kind of soloed a little bit in the style of Chuck Berry because you know, St. Louis, but, but yeah, they, they give a show right now. No, they do. It's insane. And, and they have, you know, it's a very high production show as you would imagine in a, in a stadium or in a a dome, but yeah, they, they go out there, they play for three hours, actual changes, outfits a bunch of times. We got the, uh, I can't remember how it, they went down. They did the, the the version that always works, and like you and I are kind of <laughs> on top of it, and it's it, it works. But whenever they um they had uh Slash and and Richie, is that his name? Richard. Sorry, Richard. Unless you're his boy. In my which, head, which you're not. So. In my head, I was thinking I was this close to say Richie Sambora, and I knew that that was wrong, but that was the name that was in my head. I do know people though that that know him as Richie. Okay. So, um, Fortis, I couldn't yes, remember his last name. Richard Fortis. Slash and Richard Fortis, they're, you know, they're on the top of their little... Well, that's when they did Wish You Were Here, another cover. They also did Wish You Were Here. Yeah, and they were they were soloing together, doing that whole thing. And then you kind of notice, you're like, oh, all of a sudden, Axel is at a piano. <laughs> 
and that means one thing. And then, you know, you... Well, and, and we watched that DVD a couple of weeks ago, and that was, you know, after these... That was a 1992 conference, uh, concert in France. And um, actually, he did that whole costume change thing constantly, too, back then. I'd totally forgotten about that. He yeah, must have changed in that, that first hour. He must have changed four times. No, yeah, he likes to... He likes to change clothes. He does. But yeah, they, they did that, that November Rain, which is on... That's, that's the weird thing about these records. It's like if you had to pick your favorite, I would say Use Your Illusion 2, probably top to bottom, has better songs. But November Rain's on one. Yeah, and see... <laughs> so. but, in, but to that, I put November Rain kind of in the same um, stratosphere as Civil War. I think those are like those two songs are the same. I don't, I don't think they're the same song. They're the, the same thing on each other's album. Does that really? make sense? It it does. I don't agree because I think November rain is way better of a song than, like, than civil war. They, they're both the, you know, seven plus minute long, slow song. Yeah. I still, um, I mean, November rain. I listened to it again today while I was, while I was walking the dog and that last guitar solo, when they build the crescendo still gives me chills. No, that's one of the best guitar solos of all time. Um, that is one of like, I know we like to always have the, the, um, Eddie Van Halen slash debate between the two of us. And, but, and I always sigh. I was like, yeah, Eddie Van Halen didn't, didn't do the solo of November rain. I think that's <laughs> the, the Trump card of all Trump cards is, you know, I'll let you have that opinion. That's fine. No, yeah. It's one of the greatest guitar solos. <laughs> and and like I said, Slash really carries a lot of this album. Like I said, uh, Coma, which actually he co-wrote, that's kind of about their their respective drug problems that they had. And in the song, the, the main character goes into a coma, and the music kind of takes that track. Like when he's actually in a coma, that's when the the music gets real like light and slow. And then you, you, you know, you hear Axel's thoughts while he's in the coma and then he's slowly coming out of it. And as he's coming out of it, that's when the music starts building again. And it's got that awesome crescendo that, you know, compares to, to November rain and, and then boom, the song just, just hits again. And it's got, it's got one of the best riffs on the album. And then one of my favorite, it's been my, one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs for years um double talking jive i love that song yeah that's a good one that's just one of those you know and that's an izzy song only three and a half minutes long but it's just one of those like fast high energy crazy crazy song when because they i i I don't have a distinct memory but i'm sure they played it um when we saw them um you know and like i said it's just them it's just it's kind of has that punk mold yeah, that um, I know, I know it's an Izzy song, but Duff likes his punk, and so it it works very well. Cause, uh, you know, yeah, it's a very it's a very punky song, and then at the end the end of it, you got that that nice acoustic uh, slash guitar playing to yeah. just kind of close out the song, which is very cool. Now speaking of Duff and his punk, he does have his own song on Use Your Illusion too. It's that so fine, which he wrote and performed. I always like when Duff sings. Duff doesn't have the greatest voice in the world. But it's it's got a quality that that just it's it's cool to hear every now and then. Yeah, he he is that that punk quality where he can't really sing, but it works. Right, and that that particular song is about the great Johnny Thunders who had died just before that album came out or was was recorded. Now, 
I had totally forgotten about this, and I had these CDs at one time, but in the liner notes, I had totally forgotten about this, but now looking at the notes here for the for the record, that in all the thank yous, Axel just added, F you, St. Louis. <laughs> so that's 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 our little claim to fame with, with Guns N' Roses. And I do... Go ahead. I do think it's funny because we we've mentioned, uh, like you know, when we saw them, they played three and a half hours, and and when that that tape that we were watching is was probably around that time. You know, most bands playing over an hour—that's your set. But in people expect you to play every song you've released, and when you don't do right. that, they throw they a get fit. mad. Yeah, and and. After this album, I mean, they they went on the 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 whole you know the stadium tour for like nineteen ninety two ninety three, but then the band just just imploded. I mean, those guys and their substance abuse problems all caught up. Um, the the late starts, all that stuff, and they put out the Spaghetti Incident in nineteen ninety three, which was just all covers. I thought it was a great album, um, but it didn't do so well. You know, it was all just covers, nothing original. And then after that, the last thing they really did as the band, they put out for the movie Interview with a Vampire, another really bad Tom Cruise movie. Actually, it's not as bad as Days of Thunder, but it, it, it's kind of cheesy when you look at it now. At the time, it was like, oh, it is kind of a cool movie. It's about vampires. But you look at it now, and you're like, oh, God. But they did a cover of the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil for that, for that movie. And then that was it. That was... Uh, then by that time, I think Slash had left the band. Izzy was already gone. They replaced him with Gilby Clark. Slash left. Duff ended up leaving. And then it was just, you know, not, it, Slash actually kept working. It was, it's so weird to me that in all those years of no Guns N' Roses, Axel kind of went into hiding. And throughout the rest of the 90s and before he kind of came back, quote unquote, like around 2000, 2001 with the, the new lineup of the band, there, there was, you just, you know, Slash, or Axel just disappeared. But at the same time, Slash put out the two Snake Pit albums. And then he kind of reemerged in the early 2000s with, with the Guitar Hero thing and, and Velvet Revolver. Yeah. So he, I mean, he just kept hustling and, and doing his thing. Because that Guitar Hero game, I think that came out, that was Guitar Hero 3. I think that came out in 2007. Okay. Um, and then his first solo album came out in 2010. Yeah. That add up. Yeah. Um, the book came around in that time as well. That was right. whenever he was making kind of making his comeback comeback. But But yeah, throughout the rest of the nineties, you know, he was he was doing stuff with Snake Pit. He was trying to get things going. Um, it wasn't always working out. I think when his book he referred to I can't remember if it was when he was putting together Velvet Revolver or still trying to keep Snake Pit going. He he got the guys from Buck Cherry. And, yeah. and they did some demos, which I, I would love to hear that too. I think that was a snake pit thing. It might have been, yeah. And he, he, you know, he's he, he really likes those guys, but he's like, yeah, it just didn't click. Probably because you know Josh can't really sing. But <laughs> as much as I like Buck Cherry, I love you, Josh. But um, yeah, that didn't that didn't work. The Velvet Revolver thing, as great as it was, again, it just kind of imploded because none of those guys were really clean yet. And you know, Slash was was still doing the the painkillers and oxycotton and whatnot, and and Scott Weiland. You know, we all know how that ended up. So it's it's too bad that that band couldn't couldn't give us more. But I still maintain. I know it'll never happen at all. Um, but if if 
in an alternate universe, a Velvet Revolver tour with, uh, I can't remember his name, the new Stone Temple Pilots 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 guy. guy, That would be cool. That would be like, yeah. There's zero reason for it. Yeah, just do your Scott Weiland thing for us. When we saw Guns, because I know they've mixed in a little bit of Velvet Revolver in their shows, did they do Slither? I don't. I don't think they did. I think that was something they started doing a little bit later. I think the reason I think they didn't, because I don't have uh, the, I don't have any memory of it, but I think we kind of joked afterwards that we're like, if Axel is going to make them play Chinese democracy songs, then they should have been able to. But they did. They they did start working in Slither. That's good. Yeah. What's what's that one? Because they only do one song from Chinese Democracy, don't they? They do Chinese Democracy and better. Yes. Okay. I'll give you that. So yeah, throughout the late '90s, Axel just vanished. He can kind of came back in. Well, not kind of came back. Guns and Roses came back, and and by this time, you know there was all the legal issues where Axel took over the name. Um, everything was all Axel now. It's basically just the Axel Rose project. Um, but I remember I can't remember if it was the MTV Music Awards or or one of these award shows, but. At the very end of the show, Jimmy Fallon, who was the host, he's like, okay, now we have a very special guest. And this is when Jimmy Fallon was like 28 years old. So he was just you know, like a kid and he jumps up and down. He's like guns and effing roses. And we're like, oh my God. And GNR comes out, but it's, it's Axel just with all the other guys that he had being guns and roses. And I think at the time he had Tommy Stinson from the replacements on bass, um, I don't know who the second guitar player was, but I remember watching this on TV and having zero idea he was in the band. But I remember looking at the screen going, oh my God, that's Richard Fortas, which means nothing to the rest of the country. But if you're in St. Louis and you see Richard Fortas playing with Guns N' Roses, you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> but And oddly enough, this is like 2001. Richard probably, I mean, other than Axel, he's the longest tenured guy in the band probably at this point. But, you know, at least nonstop. But, uh, but they came out and did a couple of classic Guns N' Roses songs. I can't remember who they had on drums or anything. I just remember Axel, Richard Fortas, and, and Tommy Stinson. And I know they went, then they, they, they kind of started touring kind of smaller venues. They did put out a DVD right before, right before the, the reunion happened. There is a Guns N' Roses DVD out there with Richard Fortas, I think Bumblefoot and DJ Ashba on, on guitar. Um, I can't remember who the bass player was at that time. They might have even brought in, because I know Duff would play a show with them from time to time. But back then, even Slash was not even allowed into the show. Like, he, he thought, and I think he wrote about it in the book, or maybe I, I heard about it in an interview, where he's like, well, I'll just go check it out. And, and they stopped him at the door, and they're like, yeah, sorry. Slash doesn't have the appearance where he can appear to be someone else. <laughs> right, yeah. They're like, oh, the guy with curly hair, sunglasses, <laughs> and a top hat. He can't just put on a ball cap and... <laughs> Tell them to turn around. Like a V-neck sweater. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that and and I would love to be the fly on the wall when they kind of got it all figured out. That would have... No, definitely. Um, and I, I can't fully remember how that came about when it was happening. Was that a thing that was like... Were there like murmurs of that? that there was like, murmurs, yeah. I remember Eddie Trunk talking about it. And Eddie's always been boys with Slash. And none of those guys were really allowed to talk about it. So he couldn't get anything official on the record, but he was like, I'm hearing rumblings. And I think at the time that's when slash was going through his divorce. I think that adds up. And 
I think his point of view was financially, this makes sense for everybody. You know, Slash was playing, you know, like the venue that we were at last night, you know, 2,500 people. Um, Guns N' Roses was playing. I know they played the Hard Rock in Vegas. I had a friend that saw them out there, and I don't think that's much bigger. Maybe maybe 5,000 people. Um, so he was talking about how just the, the financial advantage of everybody mending their fences and getting back together would be enormous. And, and I mean, you know, obviously it is. Yeah, no, and, but the, I think the one thing that with Guns N' Roses in their breakup, um, compared to other bands breakups is it's not like slash Duff and Matt Sorum had to, you know, sit in a room and figure their differences out. Right, right. They've, it was like, everyone else in Axel figuring it out. Right, right. Um, which I think I do think helped because and I as you kind of mentioned Axel's calmed down for the- I would just love to know what Now, I'm sure cuz Axel a- a- Axel has had his issues which I think are more mental than 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 drug. But you know that whole not going on stage when the rest of the band is there and delaying these shows that kind of perpetuated those guys' drug problem. I mean, Duff wrote about it in his book that it would just make him so nuts that he would just keep drinking because he he just didn't know what to expect every night. Now, we all know that 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 Slash had his you know major issues, and I'm sure there was times where you know Axel was ready to go to work. And I know Mick Jagger had this issue with Keith Richards a lot, where he was it was okay, it's time to work, and Keith's got a needle in his arm in a hotel room somewhere. So I'm sure that angered him to no end after a while like oh god come on we need to keep this thing going and and you can't stop doing drugs for 10 minutes so we can record a song that's got to play into that oh i'm sure so it probably you know i i I don't know if there was one specific thing i i just can't imagine that slash did something so evil that it made axel be like no i'm cutting this guy out of my life forever maybe he did i don't know but it it just it just doesn't seem that way. So it more, it seems more like he was just kind of fed up with the behavior. And I'm, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's validity to that. I, th- I don't necessarily think that either side is like fully. Oh no, in no. The, in yeah. the wrong. And I, I didn't even like consciously think about how different mental health is kind of viewed as today. Like you mentioned earlier. Oh yeah. And it like, yeah. Big time. Axel being bipolar, like I didn't think about, but then now you say that I, you know, I, I know it a seems little, obvious now. It right? seems obvious, <laughs> and, and so now it's like okay, now I don't even blame Axel for being right because you know, the, if you're you're yeah, and then if you know anything of his upbringing, I think he had kind of an abusive stepfather, or you know, these things that you know back then you just grew up and you like okay, well you know my stepdad used to beat me, and I don't really have any way to deal with it or anybody to talk to. I guess I'll drink or maybe I'll beat my kid or you know. It, the cycle would per, would continue, and and now we kind of know how to identify that and fix it and and deal with it more. But yeah, because then you you mix that up with uh, the everyone. It it, it just kind of makes more sense now looking yeah. back at it um, with the the knowledge that we we have today about everything. And, I, and I'm sure if that is a case, I mean you know that was a a part of that kind of. Uh, whatever the word is rekindling i don't know my yes 
Okay. Yeah, right. I have a I have a very extant expansive. See, I messed up right there. A very expansive <laughs> uh, vocabulary, but like words that are slightly close, I mix up all the time, and I catch myself immediately. And I'm like, I I know I sound stupid. I'm not. I swear. It's actually a side effect of being smart. It's I, but. <laughs> it's, well, the cool thing is, like, it's a shame that we were kind of denied what Guns N' Roses could have done between like 1995 and 2005 or whatever. But at the same time. The fact that they were all able to deal with all their issues and get totally clean and do what they're doing now is is I think the 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 payoff yeah. for that. And and kind of what you're to to that point. It to in to an extent, it's almost it you could almost view it as like a a, a slight positive that that era didn't exist. Right, right. Because you kind of just talking about Aerosmith last night there was that moment that you said that Aerosmith kind of jumped the shark and then oh, everything. Time, yeah. And I don't necessarily know if that would have happened. Like, I don't, I don't know if guns and roses would ever have gone into making glorified pop music, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause, cause Axel did kind of in the mid nineties, he had that fascination with, with Trent Reznor and, and we even saw a little bit with Chinese democracy that they, he had that, that kind of electronic influence and so their musical differences might have, you know, taken a toll there as well. Cause Slash is still very much, uh, I grew up on the Stones and Aerosmith and that's my thing. And that's still, you know, the, he's never deviated from that. You listen to his riffs on GNR, on Snake Pit, Velvet Revolver, Solo Slash now. It's, it's Slash. Yeah. You know, he's, he's doing his thing and he's doing his rock and roll thing and, and there's no difference. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how that would have played out going into, going into like the late nineties and two thousands and, and if they would have been able to mesh those two directions. Yeah. And it's, I mean, just looking at the, the three real albums that they, they did release, we, we've been talking about the, the use your illusions, but there's not a miss on appetite either. So, you know, you have three albums in a row that there isn't a, a bad song to be had you can't keep that up forever. Like right. eventually the well runs dry. Yeah. Although, and maybe it's because he's, you know, there was a lot of time in between. I don't think slash has put out a bad solo. No song. slash hasn't put out. I mean, he's been firing on all cylinders for, for 10 years now. You, you've, you, you've cited the Adam Levine song as a, before. yeah, but you take out Adam Levine, you put someone else in there and it's a yeah, good song. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Adam Levine sucks. <laughs> no, that, yeah, there's to that. There is not a bad, Slash song. So maybe, you know, I, I've kind of been an advocate that Slash doesn't make bad music and he, he's incapable of it. But, uh, and it's, it's so weird too, because, you know, you, you can't look at Guns N' Roses and say who was the brains of the project. It was just that meshing of all those different brains, which actually kind of, that's, you know, going back to like a band like the Eagles, that's what broke them up. There it was too many chiefs in the, in the band, too many dudes that could go out on their own and, and be their own entity that, now, saying that, you know, Chinese Democracy is not a bad album. I don't know if I've ever actually listened to it. Yeah, it's it's fine. I think I've, like, not listened to it under protest. I kind of dig Duff's solo stuff, but it's not it's not go-to for me. Like, I love Duff, but, it yeah, it's just not it's not a go-to. Like, I, I, I'm not driving in the car and being like, oh, I should put on some Duff. It, it unfortunately just doesn't happen. I probably should give it a little bit better chance, but... But uh, and I, I don't know how much you've ever listened to Izzy's two or three solo albums. I have but not. I love them. They're, I have not listened to Izzy. They're at all. very um, 
they're very like early 70s stones-ish. Okay. Just kind of that that dirty riffs and you know, he's got that scratchy voice. Not really a great singer, but still kind of a cool voice. Yeah, you know, check those out sometimes. They're 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 pretty good. I wish he did more. That would be it'd be cool to hear something from Izzy. I know he he appeared on a he's appeared on a couple of Slash songs. Um there when when the reunion happened, they were really trying to get him to appear at a couple of shows. Um, I know Steven Adler came out and played drums a couple times. I think they had to have the real drummer still drum. And nothing against Steven Adler. You know, he's, he's had some health problems. And I, I think they just didn't know if he could actually physically do it. But um, they, they were able to get him out, but they weren't able to get Izzy. I think he actually showed up to a show and then didn't want to go on stage. I, I think there was even you know, rumors of stuff like that happening. I think he just has no interest. Which is fine, but I would love to hear some Izzy music. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if I have any more, any more points about just them as a whole. I don't know if you wanted to dive more into the albums as uh, just think, as the the music side of it. I think we gave it a good talk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, leaving leaving the ball in your court. Um, just, we've 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 kind of gone through the use your illusion to present day. Um, and I have run out of, run out of comments. <laughs> We've, we covered a lot though. We did. A, we finally got this done. I've been talking about it for, for months. Before we, uh, before we head out, you, you, I guess you kind of already answered. So you think use your, you think two has a better top to bottom. Yes. But one has November rain. Yes. So can I take that to in, infer that your favorite song off the two albums is November rain? I don't even know if I would say that's my favorite song. I, I know you struggle to, to call, point out favorites and I probably do too, but, um, because there's some now it, it one has bad obsession, which I love too. bad obsession is great. So yes. And that's got a great harmonica playing from one Michael Monroe, who was in Hanoi rocks. Is that right? Hanoi rocks. Am I getting that band right? I mean, let me scroll to the top. I don't have the answer for you. Yes, Hanoi Rocks. Okay. Um, yeah, Michael Monroe. He was the lead singer. I did I did remember his name. Just couldn't remember the band. Who's the band that... Uh, was that the band that, that Vince Neil, when he got into his car wreck? Yeah, I'm not going to go down that road. No, um, I wouldn't know the answer anyway. So yeah, he he does harmonica on Bad Obsession. It's just a great intro to that to that song. You Ain't the First, which is another Izzy Stradlin song, and, and Duff does the intro too, which I love. I mean, there's the, the live and let die cover on one too. No, yeah. That, I mean, I I will probably anger a lot of Paul McCartney fans, but I will say that that's Paul McCartney's greatest song, "Live and Let Die." I said it. I, I adhere it's to sad. it. It's it's a great cheesy movie from the '70s, um, and they they use that song well in the movie, and it's a great song. And and Guns N' Roses version of it is killer. So I don't know, man. Coma. It's. I, I just don't know. Now, the funny thing is about these albums, Use Your Illusion 1, a lot of these songs were were kind of written around the time of Appetite. So they're kind of like leftovers from, from that era. Whereas Use Your Illusion 2 was stuff they, they put together for, the, for these sessions. And one thing I, I, I know you love when, when I do this, but two albums released on the same day, both of them you know an hour and change combined it's it's two and a half two forty five minutes of guns guns and roses i mean that's a lot of a lot of music right and for that for that kind of 
you know, it's one thing if you release an album with seven songs that doesn't have any bad songs. If you release an album with 13 to 15 songs. Yeah, it's insane. There's, there's 16 on one and 14 on two. That's 30 songs. Yeah. Two, two covers. And so 28 original songs. And, 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 you know, you, you mentioned how many songs, but then you look at how many songs are in the five to eight minute range. Right. You have a few that, you know, comas in 10, at 10 minutes, November rains, basically nine, uh, um, if you could go back to two for me, you know, I think coma, uh, estranged is another, you know, almost 10 minutes. Estranged is a dark horse entry. That is a great song yeah, that, that great was song. actually, I, I want to say it was kind of a later single and they might've even had a video for it, but that, that's a fantastic song. They, they do do it live on their current incarnation. And yeah, that's kind of one that people forget about, I think. So yeah, like you have a bunch of songs that are, you know, the length of progressive songs, but it's, it, 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 it is crazy how they, you know, re- release that much and, and for it to really not have any misses is, is, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to, to do that, to have such great music on two albums at the same time, to to reach the success that these albums did and and probably still do and and have it just be the downfall of the band. Yeah. It's just such a crazy story. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because we have been yapping about it way too long. We're going to take a week off, be back in a couple weeks when Jack is back in town because we we like doing this live, right? We don't like we the do. Zoom. We do like doing it live. We, we, we sound better. We've got the real microphones. We've got a snoring dog that probably nobody can hear. Um, Podcat has not made nope. an, an entrance into this particular episode, but we'll try to get that to happen next time. So in the meantime, go ahead and write us at itsthewayofrock at gmail.com. You can check out our socials at itsthewayofrock on Instagram, Twitter, and also Facebook. You can go to our website at itsthewayofrock.com. For Jack, this is Jeff. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you later.